0: The following is a presentation of Genesis. Genesis is a place where you are invited to begin, belong, and believe. To find out more, visit us on the web at genesisthejourney.com.
1: Again, my name is Michael, and I am uh, very excited that you are here. And um, this is, I'm excited every Sunday night uh, that we get to gather as a community. Uh, but once a year, uh, we set aside, this is Easter Sunday, and there's uh, millions, if not billions, of people uh, who gathered across churches all across America, all across the world, uh, to really celebrate one truth, one reality, and it was—it's uh, really cool to see some of these young kids, especially the kid rocking it out with a guitar. Did you catch him? Huh? Um, just talking about—they'll remember—and that uh, they wanted to share and declare. Uh, something that they already know at the age of two and three and four and five, uh, the reality that Jesus is alive. And this is a really big deal. Like this is what Easter is all about, that Jesus Christ is alive. I want you to catch that, understand that, because if we are at a place where, you know, Jesus wasn't alive, that would be we'd be in trouble. There's the Apostle Paul who asked a very... Pretty powerful question. Made a really a powerful statement in First Corinthians uh, chapter 15, and it says this: This is First uh, Corinthians um, 15 chapter or, uh, chapter 15 verse 55. It says, "Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting?" Paul is talking about Jesus, and because Jesus is alive, he's asking the question of death: "Where's your victory?" Because Jesus was victorious over death. Where is your sting? He's asking of death because Jesus conquered death. Now, the r- reality is if Jesus was not alive, we would have to say, wow, death has got a pretty powerful sting. Death was victorious because death won again. But because Jesus is alive, he is victorious over death. Death has no sting. It has no power. Why? Because on Easter, we celebrate this amazing reality that Jesus Christ is living. He was killed on Friday, brutally murdered, was buried dead Saturday, and then on Sunday, and this is the story we're going to pick up, that death did not beat him. Death did not win. As you consider, it's roughly about 6 o'clock, 6.30 right now. I want you to go back roughly 2,000 years, about 12 hours earlier. A few women come to the tomb, and they're coming to see uh, Jesus, who is dead, and they want to care for his body and and spices and, and just care for this dead corpse. They were in for the surprise of their lifetime. One of the things that's really hard for us to imagine is compliments of all of the greeting cards and Hallmark and All of these things, we know, just you can go to any store and and pick up a card that says, Jesus is alive, happy Easter. If you can, in your mind's eye, imagine what it would have been like on Easter morning, you are going to the tomb to care for a body that's dead. And then this is what happens on Easter morning. On the first day of the week, that's Sunday, first day of the week, very early in the morning, The women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the Lord Jesus. The stone is rolled away. They go to the tomb. It's empty and Jesus is gone. Some of you have heard that before. And it's like, okay, I've heard that. Picture if you took your best friend. You buried him on Friday. You saw the casket go into the earth, six feet of dirt on top. Saturday, you are in such mourning, such grief. You can't even go back to the graveyard. But on Sunday, you wake up and you say, you know what? I want to put flowers by my friend's tomb. And so you get up real early on Sunday morning and you go there and you see the earth is dug up you see the casket the the door to the casket is open and then you see a body that was there that is no longer there what are you thinking at this point how many of us would be thoroughly freaked out i saw my friend dead and now the earth has been moved the casket is open and his body or her body is no longer there if you can imagine how freaked out you would be, maybe you can start to understand how these women are feeling. It goes on in Luke uh, chapter 24, verse 4. While they were wondering, I, I would have loved to have been there to see this, like, okay, this is odd. This is a bit, I'm not sure what to make of all of this. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. I'm wondering if they prayed and they're like, okay, we don't know what to do. Let's just maybe offer prayer. God, would you please send someone, maybe like a guard, because the Roman guards are supposed to be watching the tomb. Send someone here to kind of help us understand what on earth is going on. Like, could maybe just someone tell us where the body is? No concept that he'd be alive. Just someone took his body. And so if that prayer was prayed, I'm thinking they probably open their eyes and be like, wow, this is getting even weirder. I see there's two men, and their clothes look like lightning, which I can't even fathom what that would look like, but I guarantee they would sell really well in today's culture. So if they're not already freaked out and scared because the tomb, the stone is gone, the tomb is empty, and they can't find Jesus, now they're standing before these two men, angelic beings, Their clothes are like lightning. And this is what they say. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Confused and frightened. And now comes this profound question. This is one of those questions. There's not many questions that transcends time, transcends culture. But this is one of those questions that transcends time and culture. It was incredibly relevant 2,000 years ago when the angels asked them, these women, this question. And it's incredibly profound for us this day. The question, why do you look for the living among the dead? How on earth does somebody answer that question? Why do you look for the living among the dead? The graveyard example, you're going in the graveyard and the the keeper of the graveyard comes to you and says, what are you doing? Well, I'm looking for my friend. Was your friend dead? No, he's he's alive. Well, why are you looking here? There's only dead people here. Oh, really? I mean, this is such a profound question that the angels ask. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? As I've been thinking about this question of how it really uh, sits with us. Why do you look for life where there is no life? I want you to sit with that question. Why do we look for life where there is no life? Who was it that told you that you would find life in your career? Who was it that told you that you would find life in more money? Or more power, more prestige, more titles and letters? Who told you that you would find life in those things? I wonder, we as a people, as a community, this culture, why do we look for life where there is no life? And I wonder if there's maybe one, if not a few, if not many, who this is a question that I hope will transform you. That you are an individual right now who continues to search for life where there is no life. You continue to search for most meaning and purpose and value and worth and significance in places that ultimately are just death. You continue to live on the landscape of a graveyard, And someone is coming to you, and let it be this voice tonight saying, why are you looking for life in this place? There is no life to be had. So where's life to be found? The story goes on. Luke chapter 24, just the very first part of of verse 6. This is what the angels say. The women were silenced. They didn't know how to answer that question, probably like many of us would not know how to answer this question. They said this, He is not here. He is risen. Remember, they didn't know. They thought maybe someone took the body. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Be crucified on the third day. Be raised again. I believe these are probably eight of the most powerful words in all of God's story, Old Testament and New Testament. He is not here. He has risen. Those are seven words. He is not here. He has risen. Imagine hearing those words for the very first time and thinking, how is that possible? I saw they beat the tar out of him. He was bleeding from every aspect of his body. He had no flesh. He had spit. He was humiliated and naked, nailed to a cross. I saw him die. I was there. I saw the Roman jab a spear into his side. How, what are you telling me? He is risen. He is alive. He's not here. How is that possible? I saw with my own eyes the brutal murder of Jesus. Imagine hearing that for the first time. You were there, and now you're hearing this. It doesn't make sense. Really? He's alive? How is that possible? The angel's affirmation was, yeah. He's not here. He is alive. There's two personal pronouns I do not want you to miss. He See, Jesus is not just this abstract idea, this philosophical system of just beliefs. He is not here. He is risen. Jesus, God in flesh, God man, He is not here. He is risen. He is alive. What's life? Life is in the He. It's in the person of Jesus, and this is what we are all looking for, all of humanity. So all of you, all of us, we are looking for a he, a personal relationship. Each of us was created by community for community. We are created by God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a community for a relationship with God and a relationship with one another. Because Jesus is alive, he's not there, he's risen, Jesus makes that possible. Then the eighth powerful word is remember. Remember. Remember how he told you while he was still with you. The son of man delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, third day, be raised again. How often when things just go bad, they get messed up, there's hurt and there's pain, there's suffering, how forgetful we get. Like, I am getting to be a very forgetful person. My wife can attest to that. She's like, really? You don't remember I told you that? And I can't really play the card of, yeah, seriously, I don't remember. Um, What happens when pain, suffering, it seems to cause like amnesia. The angel said, don't you remember? He told you. Remember. It's the word that I want us to hear. Jesus said he was going to do this. He did it and he accomplished it. He was crucified, killed, dead, buried. And he told people. He told the disciples. He told the crowds. And the word was remember remember. That he said that he was going to do this. Can you imagine if we did not hear these words? That he's not here, he is risen. If you were to look at Paul's letter to a church in Corinth, he says this. If Christ has not been raised, your faith futile. You're still in your sins. Those also who have fallen asleep, meaning died, they're in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. This is, if we don't hear these words, he's not here, he's risen. Paul says four things. Your faith, it's useless. Why don't you just have faith in my grandfather who died years ago? That would be a futile thing to do. He says, you'd still be in your sins, meaning there's no forgiveness. You've got to figure out, I have to figure out, How I'm going to get myself right with God. I'm on my own. Third thing, those who died believing in Jesus, they're lost. People who believed actually having this crazy faith, if Jesus is not alive, they're lost. And then he says this, we're to be pitied more than all men. Meaning the world should look at you and say, you are a fool. I cannot believe that you have your faith in someone who's dead. How silly, how foolish, how ridiculous you are. But the reality is we've heard these words. This was the testimony. Jesus appeared to these women, then to the disciples, and then to a, a crowd of 500 plus people. Because he is risen, because he is alive, my faith is in the right person. And it's in a person. It's in a he. It's in Jesus. My sin, it's completely forgiven. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. His death on Friday, his resurrection sealed the deal that I am, have peace with God because I have faith in Jesus. Those who died believing are with him now. If they died believing in Jesus, they are with him now. And then the fourth, the world should look at you and I and say, you have life. I don't. I see that you live differently I want what you have, the joy, the peace, the hope. How do you have that life? Because he's alive. Because he is alive. And I love the response that these women get in chapter 24, verse 8. They remembered. It was almost like this aha moment. Like, wow, that's what he was talking about? We heard him say it, but we couldn't comprehend that's actually what he meant now their memory brought them to the place where they said you know what we need to go tell other people and so they went to the disciples these were the men now only 11 because judas betrayed jesus and he hung himself so there's only 11 and so these women go back how do you think the disciples are going to respond you would think oh my goodness let's celebrate let's rejoice he's wandering around out there somewhere let's go find him This is what happened when they came back from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and to the others. And it was Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. They did not believe because their words seemed like nonsense. What would you do? You're somewhere on Sunday afternoon mourning the loss of your friend and someone comes to you and says, you're not going to believe it, but he's alive. You'd probably punch that person. You'd probably walk out. Don't talk to me like that. That's, That's crazy talk. This is how they heard it. Nonsense. Has anyone, you've ever heard someone talk nonsense, just crazy talk? Do you say, wow, that's very profound. Thank you for changing my life. Or do you just disregard them and walk away? This is the response, utter nonsense. As I think about their response, I see two types of people. There's one type of person who says, it's unbelievable, therefore, I will not believe it. I cannot see it. I cannot touch it. I cannot get my mind to comprehend it. So therefore, it's not possible. We hear impossible things, but because our minds cannot grasp it, it it must not have happened. It's, It's just not possible. Basically, that individual, your world is only as big as you can make it. Ultimately, meaning it's a pretty small world. There's another type of person, those who are curious. And their curiosity leads them to ask a question. Wow, what if what they're saying is true? What if what they're saying, what if it's true? And I wonder tonight if there's anyone here that's curious. You're here tonight because a friend invited you. You haven't been at church maybe since last Easter, maybe 10 years ago Easter. And I wonder, rather than being the individual who says, I can't grasp my mind around someone who was dead and, and buried and now is alive, so therefore it's not possible. I wonder if there's anyone here tonight who would be Curious. Wow, what if it's true? What if what if it's true? Curiosity killed the cat. Right? That's an old proverb. What's really interesting about people who are curious in the Bible is their lives were forever changed. Moses, Old Testament, sees a bush that's on fire. Well, that's curious. I must go check it out. Months later, he's fighting Pharaoh, and then leading millions of people out to the promised land. Why? Because he was curious to know something wasn't right. And rather than saying, that's just not possible, therefore I have not seen it, he said, I'm going to go check that out. The Apostle Paul, this incredible light. This guy was a murderer. He was trying to kill the church. And then in a moment, he sees this light. And rather than having an attitude of, I'm, I'm going to disregard this. I did not see that. I cannot explain this, this marvelous light. So therefore, I will reject it. He meets Jesus in this moment. His curiosity leads him to where he became the biggest champion of the church. And then there's Peter. I love Peter. He's curious because he's sitting there listening, thinking, what if what these Crazy women, what if there's some truth behind what they're saying? Verse 12, Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Is there anyone here tonight who's curious? Where will your curiosity take you? For Peter, he sprinted. To the tomb. And he gets there and he sees an empty tomb. His curiosity drove him to go and check out and see if this was true. Where will your curiosity lead you? You can be the person that says, I can't see it, touch it, feel it. I can't comprehend it. So therefore, I will choose not to believe. Or I wonder if you would be like Peter and start sprinting. Start running. I'm going to check this out. I'm going to see if there is anything to be said about a Jesus who is not here because he is risen. There's another individual I want you to, to meet in the scriptures because. Peter and the rest of the disciples, bless you. They saw a tomb that was empty, but they had not yet given the testimony or a confession of he's alive, because they hadn't seen him. And so fast forward 12 hours, roughly about Sunday evening between 6 to 8 o'clock, something amazing happened. These guys are wondering, like, the tomb is empty. What's going on? They saw it, but now they're confused. They're wondering. And this is John chapter, uh, uh, chapter 20. On the evening of the first day of the week, where it's Sunday evening, right now, this is when this is happening 2,000 years ago, On the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he'd said this, he showed them his hands and aside, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I love that when Jesus sees him for the first time, He says, peace, it is okay. I'm not a ghost. I am the man, the God man that lived with you and among you for three plus years. Be at peace. I'm not here to kill you, to condemn you. I'm here to breathe life into you. It wasn't until they had this moment, this interaction where they saw Jesus. And I love what Jesus does. He gives them a mission. The father sent me. Now I am sending you. He gave them a vision for what their life was to be about and who it was to be about and what you were to do with your life. How many people live life clueless to his, what they're doing? Jesus is alive and in his when he's alive, he says to us, you are a sent one. The father sent me. Now I send you. The story goes on. Now, Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Why wasn't he there? Because Jesus is dead. It's a dead end. He'd followed him for three years. It was like, this did not work. It's over. Death is irreversible. It's not possible. Why would he be following him? This is the guy who is, I can't see it. He's dead that's enough. I'm done. That's why Thomas is not there. So the other disciples told him, Thomas, we've seen him. We're not making this up. We're not the nonsense talk here. We have seen him. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. There are those who are curious, and then there are those who say, I refuse to believe until it smacks me right in the head, until I can put my finger right in his side, and I can see the holes in his wrists and in his feet. This was Thomas. He's not curious. He's a skeptic. There might be people here tonight who are curious. There might be people here tonight who are ultimately skeptical. I I can't comprehend it. I can't understand it. Therefore, I will not believe it. Something amazing happens. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. I can tell these disciples, Thomas, stick with it. You will see him. He is alive. He's risen. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he looks at Thomas. I love what he says to Thomas. Then he said to him, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my, into my side. Jesus did not bash Thomas. You were with me for three years. I can't believe you have this attitude. I made a poor decision in choosing you to follow. And smacked him around. I love that Jesus takes someone who was a cynic. Someone who said, I will refuse to believe. And he comes to Thomas. He says, Thomas, take your hand. Go ahead, put it right here on my side. These holes, go ahead. Put your finger through it. And then he gives Thomas a charge, a command, an exhortation. Thomas, stop doubting and believe. When you are confronted with a Jesus who is alive, you will have to make a decision. Thomas, in that moment, heard those words stop doubting and believe. There are people who are more comfortable and familiar and would rather keep their identity as a skeptic, as an atheist, as an agnostic, as an indifferent person, because for some reason you find comfort in that. But Jesus says, stop. Doubting and believe. And a skeptic in that moment was converted into the most powerful confession that we have in the New Testament. Verse 28 says this. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. My Lord, I will follow you. My God, I will worship you. We will all follow and we will all worship someone or something. It is just a question of, is what you are following and is what you are worshiping, is it really worth it? Jesus is the only one who conquered death. The only one who is resurrected, still alive to this day. Stop doubting and believe. Are you curious? Are you a skeptic or do you believe? If you're curious, where is your curiosity causing you to run to? Run to a Jesus who is alive. Are you a skeptic in your skepticism? Can you hear those words? Stop doubting and believe. And if you're here tonight and you've, you believe that Jesus is alive, Listen to what Jesus told to the disciples. He said, then then Jesus told him, speaking to Thomas, I mean, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. To you, Jesus says, blessed are you. That's another way of saying if you're a Christian, your life should be a nonstop party of celebrating the truth that Jesus is alive. Blessed are you. Jesus is speaking to you, saying you are so blessed because you believe something you did not see. You have received by faith the testimony of others who witnessed Jesus. So to you, you're blessed. Blessed are you. Celebrate. This is an amazing truth, an amazing reality that Jesus Christ is alive. You are blessed. Celebrate smile sing loud scream from the rooftops my goodness my god is alive i am blessed that's what jesus told thomas i've long thought that one of the most powerful evidence of a jesus is of a jesus who is alive is a person who is alive because of jesus meaning a person who has made a decision to confess that Jesus, like Thomas, my Lord and my God, and their life is different. Look at the disciples. These guys were just messed up. They complained, they cried, they whined, they were hard-hearted. They didn't get it. Jesus called them out on it many times. Are you slow? Are your heart still hard? They bickered and they fought with each other. And then, as soon as they encounter Jesus who is alive, these guys went hardcore. They start preaching. Thousands of people are believing in Jesus. They became the great champions, the great leaders of the early church. It doesn't make sense because I know what they were like before they confessed Jesus as God. But then I see them after they encounter a Jesus who is alive conquer death lives are totally different tonight we are celebrating what we call our get drenched service there are those people who have made a decision to follow jesus to make that confession like thomas my lord my god i will follow i will worship and tonight i want you to hear their story and as you listen to their story These are stories coming from people like you and I who have encountered Jesus Christ is alive. I want to invite my friend Leslie uh, Ganji to come up. So please say hello to Leslie. This should be on. Actually, Leslie uh, works in my office. My office is uh, over at uh, Albon Pen. Um, do I say that right, by the way, Aubonne Pen? Know how to say it. Say it all, ways. all right, you're like the manager over there. You should know how to say it. <laughs> uh, I had the great, great privilege. Bread. Great bread. That's what it means. Really? Yep. I did not know that. Great bread in French. Okay. And by the way, Leslie is huge. Aubon Pen outfits us every week uh, with food. So thank you to Albon Pen, uh, great bread, uh, for taking care of us. Leslie is uh, here tonight because she wants to share her story of what Jesus has done uh, in her life. I've known Leslie now for about over a year, or roughly about a year, and uh, we met just in a lot of conversations because I hang out there a lot, and I'm excited for her to share her story and then um, as a confession, as a symbol of her, um, of her faith in Jesus as uh, she would get baptized. So Leslie, just uh, a picture of just what is, what is God, what has Jesus been doing in your life really over the past year?
2: Um, and before, just for anyone who saw me the one time I was up here, I had blonde hair. So <laughs> that was me. Um, and I'm not here on Sundays because I work. I work at Aubon Pan on Sundays because I'm a new shift supervisor there. So I get the joy to close on Sundays. But it's going to change. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I since Michael asked me if I wanted to get baptized, uh, there's been so many things that happen. I had a crazy dream that I won't go into because it was really crazy. But basically, the dream was because I, I, you know, I went to bed thinking about it, and the dream was that um, if I stayed with Jesus, that I would be safe. And did it go off? No, you're on. <laughs> no, I'm still on. I think so. Am I still on? Yeah. Um, just that if I stayed with Jesus, that I would be safe, and you know, that all the dark things that were all over me, all around my life that held me down and held me back and, and made me sad and just, just dark. That's all I can, if I had to summarize it, which I do. Um, it was really dark. My life was so dark and, and just in the dream, you know, the people were telling me just stay with Jesus and you'll be safe. And the next day, um, I was telling a friend of mine about the dream and he was like, get baptized. You know, that was a sign. And, but, but seriously, there are amazing things that have happened to me. Um, I'm only 36. I have three kids, and they're pretty much grown up. Um, and I was married before, and I was a good wife. And But I didn't have any idea about who Jesus was and how powerful he was. And I'm going to try not to get emotional because it's, it's really hard to think that to really think about it and really come to terms with that, that if I knew my life would have been so different and my life would have been what it is now. And, and I still could have been married, but (laughs) I'm really good friends with my ex-husband and we're really good parents. Um, He's, he's Catholic. He was raised in a Catholic family, which when I met them, I was like, that's so great. You guys are Catholic. And then I was like, not saying anything bad about Catholics, but I was like, yeah, okay, this isn't that great. You know? But this is great. This is really great. I, I feel like a different person. And, and, you know, and I'm just a regular, normal person, just like everybody else, which I didn't know that's what everybody else was. I didn't know that's what Christians were, just regular people who loved Jesus and and had faith in him and, and knew that, like, he was great. I wish I knew that. But I know it now, so it's good. Mm. And, and it just, there's amazing things that have happened. Um, so I'm going to try to summarize it. But um, my son, he's going to be 18, and, and for years, I had so much anxiety about his life. He has some problems, and he was on medication, and I remember I went to Michael, and, and Krista was there. And, and I was like, you know, somebody told me that he shouldn't be on the medication anymore, and I just feel like... Jesus is letting me know that it's okay for him not to be on the medicine. And Michael was like, don't go doing anything without talking to a doctor, you know, like, and and I was like, yeah, but I'm like, I really feel it. And I'm like, I get what he's saying. But, and I just felt it in my heart. Like, I know this is the right feeling. I know that I can trust in Jesus because I had just met him and he made me feel so good. And why shouldn't I trust him? You know, because in life, that's what we do. We meet people who we love and they make us feel good and we trust them. So I felt that way about Jesus. Why shouldn't I trust him? You know, it can't, what more bad can happen than that's already happened. So, and that was last summer. That was last June. And my son still is not on medication. Mm -hmm. And that is amazing, just amazing. Um, So that's the biggest thing. But the second biggest thing is, this is huge. Um, My sister, I have four sisters. I'm the youngest of four. And uh, I gather myself for a minute because this is something I have to tell. Um, But my sisters, um, one of them is a Christian, and the i don 't know one of the but two of them they they really lived on the dark side, and um, one of my just my nicest sisters she lived on the dark side for so long and then a year ago she um, decided not to <laughs> and uh, maybe you can break in for a second. <laughs> How are you guys doing? <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> the whole medicine thing, yeah. I'm the skeptic, so just... Um, but she just turned her life around. She started doing the right thing, and her husband started doing the right thing, and and they're both 42, and they could never have kids. My sister had cancer when she was 16, and um, and they lived on the dark side, and I always felt sad for them that they couldn't have kids, but I knew that... There was a reason why they couldn't have kids because it wouldn't, you know. And there are people who live on the dark side who have kids, but I just knew that that there was a reason. And and when I found Jesus, I came to terms with it. That it just it wasn't a good thing. It wouldn't be a good thing for Jesus to give her a child, you know. And 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 I and I believe that. And uh, so now they've been living right. They've been living in a loving, caring you know world and they have nothing they have nothing and and my sister found out yesterday that she was pregnant and she didn't believe it and she called me over and she said i just took three pregnancy tests and i'm pregnant and i was like you're pregnant i'm like you can't get pregnant and she's like i'm pregnant and I'm like, are you sure? And she's like, I think. And we're like sitting at the table last night, and we're looking at all these pregnancy tests. And this I'm is like, like
1: the women battling the angels yeah. at the tomb. He like, can't be alive. No, he is <laughs> alive. No, he's not alive. No. And I, I, what
2: she said. And she's like, I-, I think I should go have a cigarette. And I said, you can if you're pregnant. I said, don't. And and she's like, did you smoke when you were pregnant? And I said, no, because that would be so selfish. I said, you can't. I said, let me see the pregnancy test. And me, her, and her husband are standing around. And they're like, we're too old to have kids. And this was just going on and on. And I said, wait a minute. I said, you're pregnant. And, and, uh, and she said, but why now, you know, why after I prayed so much and I just, I wanted kids so bad. Why now? I said, why? I said, because Jesus thinks that this is the right time. I said, you know what? It, it's fine. And she's like, and she has so many medical problems, um, you know, having kids because of the cancer and stuff. And, and I said, you know what? if you lose the baby, you lose the baby. I said, but you have to be happy right now that you got pregnant. I said, you were able to get pregnant. I said, and let's just be happy now. And if we have to be sad later, we'll be sad later. And that whole thing, I, I have learned that through the Bible and, and just through loving Jesus that, that's fine if it's going to be bad later but i am not going to sit here and think about how bad it's going to be i want to think about how good it is right now you know bad things are going to happen and and i'll get through it and it will be fine because i know that in the end at the end of every day in the beginning of every day that jesus loves me and it doesn't matter it just it doesn't matter so
1: Leslie, one uh, last question I'll give you is uh, in a few moments we're gonna uh, you're gonna get baptized, and just wanted you to give uh, have give you the opportunity to confess to uh, this community, your community. Uh, why is it that uh, today uh, on Easter that you are getting baptized?
2: Because that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> not really, but um, because I I am I am ready, I am fully ready to commit myself. To jesus i i really am and i'm not i don't feel like it's something i have to do or feel like it's something i i you know i'm supposed to do it's something i want to do i i really want to because i want him to know that i am truly going to follow him and i'm going to follow his word and i'm sure i'm going to slip up here and there because i'm not perfect and i'm human and i live in this world uh, so that's kind of tough to be perfect um But I'm doing it because I I just want him to know that, you know, that I'm ready to follow his word. Because his word is what helps me. It it makes every day good for me, even when my days feel bad. It just, it always feels better because I know that I have peace, so. Thanks, Leslie. That's
0: it for me.
1: Tiffany Cassell, where are you? Everyone say hello to Tiffany as she comes up. I've uh, only really known Tiffany for about uh, five months. She moved uh, here from the New York uh, area uh, about five, six months ago. Actually, maybe a little bit before that. But um, uh, Tiffany grew up in a, um, uh, in a church background, so uh, she had some uh, certainly some spiritual knowledge, I'll say it like that. Uh, but some very significant things happened in your life uh, right around... Midfall October time frame so uh, just give testimony I guess to what God's really been doing in your life um, you know since Jesus last fall
3: okay um, I graduated from college in May of 2008 went and worked at a camp as a camp director all summer long and at the end kind of was like all right you know what's next I'm a real person now do I look for a job do I stay home <laughs> um was ready for an adventure so I began looking at jobs within you know what an 8- or 10-hour drive radius of um, where I grew up. And Boston and D.C. kind of were the two cities that fell closest you know, in my scope of, of looking. And um, I was offered a job in D.C. working with the Washington Capitals mm. and um, was offered a job here in Boston with the Boston Sports Club at the same time. And I had a weekend to decide and another week to move, regardless of which one I chose. And um, it was a really tough decision, and I had a lot of people telling me exactly what I should do, and I, and I really didn't know you know, what was gonna be best. Um for some reason I was drawn to Boston. I really didn't know a lot of people in either area. Um so either way it was gonna be a really big change for me and I moved to Boston and was like, all right, I'm a real person, like let's let's get started. Um and part and those of, that- of
1: you struggle with the real person thing, <laughs> college degree, then you're a real person. College degree, real person. <laughs>
3: well that's the way I mean it was always put to me, I guess. Um and I think part of that for me was finding a church community. And I I'm from new In, it's about a 35 minute drive from here. I right said, of Boston and started looking around there. And then a, a friend of mine who had been coming to Genesis for a few months, um, who I knew from home invited me and I was like, you know, sure. It's good. I'm looking for something for a church to be a part of. I will give this a shot. And I sat over there the very first night and actually cried during worship. And I was just so moved by what I was hearing. It was just like a, I don't know, a bright light, for lack of a better analogy, um, that I knew why I was supposed to be here. And um, quickly became really involved in the Genesis community um, in an amazing life group. um, And just started doing a lot of really awesome things. And um, I'm going to read a little bit of a story to kind of sum up what that kind of looks like for me. I'm sure a lot of you have heard it, but it's always been really important to me. And it means something extra special now. Um, It's called Footprints. One night, I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints, other times, there was only one. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could only see one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, You promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I've noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there has only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you the most, have you not been there for me? The Lord replied, "The years when you have seen only one set of footprints, my child, is when I carried you." And in the fall, moving here, and after joining Genesis, and kind of looking back over my life, and, you know, in particular, the four years I spent at college, you know, I, I lived the college life for four years, and you know, whatever that may mean to some of you, to me, it means something. I um, could be different, and um,
1: <laughs> we won't go into definitions <laughs> tonight. To
3: Um, you know, and I, and I, you know, I drank a lot, like a lot of college kids and I, I made a lot of poor, poor decisions and looking at that and looking at life now, I just kind of started refocusing. Um, the Bible always was a daunting task to me. I never really understood how to approach it. I always started reading from the beginning and I was given a really cool Bible about four years ago, really students, student Bible study track and started doing that for a while. And I was just, it was, it made so much sense to me, you know, reading the Bible and I just felt at such peace and Began making really great decisions, and um, a couple of friends of mine visited early in December. And um, the one looked at me and he goes, "You're so centered now." And I was like, well, "What does that mean? You know, centered? Was I a mess before, and now I'm better now?" And um, I was like, "You know what? The the difference was God to me was the fact that I that it became a priority in my life. Um, everything I was doing, I was praying more, reading the Bible more, and it just was pretty pretty." awesome i guess for lack of a better term hmm. and around that time too is when you announced when the next um baptism service would be getting drenched and it happened to fall on easter um and my birthday hmm. so today's my birthday hmm. and i thought that was like what i hit in the, what i hit in the face you know to <laughs> there you go
1: that's what we like <laughs> you know? to do for people around here <laughs> hit them in the face
3: easter baptism birthday all in one in yeah. one shot so that brings me here um I've met a lot of awesome people who challenge me daily, who encourage me and hold me accountable. And what's more exciting than that is that there are people out there hmm. who I can now be that for as well. Hmm. And that's um, just something really exciting to me.
1: Hmm. Tiffany, is, uh, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, it's Easter, and it's a day that uh, you have, uh, you're getting baptized, getting drenched. So I just wanted to give you the opportunity to uh, why are you getting uh, baptized today?
3: Um, pretty simple. I love Jesus. Um, I'm a sinner, and I've asked for forgiveness. And I would, I want nothing more than to just put my life in the right, right direction. And you know, Jesus is my is my savior, and I'm just so excited that to be here. And I do have one little scripture I want to share with everybody. Um, my life group is awesome. The girls have just been so encouraging to me, and. Every week we, we call kisses you know kisses from the king and things that jump out at us and one week um, I actually don't even think it was in our study but I found it anyway and um, it just is something I want to share with everybody tonight it's Romans twelve two do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is His good pleasing and perfect will
1: thank you Tiffany My uh, good friend, Rich Sullivan, where are you? I've had the uh, privilege of knowing Richard really since uh, late summer, early fall uh, last year, and uh, he's got a great heart, and uh, he's had a pretty uh, powerful transformation and, uh, and story. So uh, roughly two and a half, three years ago, uh, you met Jesus in a very powerful way, so uh, give uh, some story, I guess, of uh, maybe what was before that and just what you've
4: seen Jesus do in your life. All right. Uh, I started off Catholic and grew up and just I went to a Christian camp when I was younger, accepted Jesus into my life, but I was kind of young. I didn't really know what it was. Like, I was just doing it because everybody was doing it. Hmm. Uh, and eventually, I just strayed away from that. I just started stealing, started doing drugs, uh, I was molested when I was pretty young and kind of messed me up totally and went into high school, found drugs, got into that life and went off to college and just found ecstasy and drugs and like hardcore stuff and acid. I started selling acid, uh, cooking up ketamine in my room, just taking E to escape, like just flat out leaving. I'd go to raves and just party like there, this room would just melt away like that you There'd just be lights flashing, and you just, you'd just you be the only person there. It was like a place of solitude for me. Uh, after college, I started selling pretty heavy uh, around here. Um, I, I was a walking pharmacy. I, I had the best weed. I, I was always proud. Uh, I would carry tons of cell phones. I always had two cell phones, talking on both at the same time. Uh, always just wanted to be somebody bigger. Always wanted to be somebody better. And it just, there was no stopping it. I would just take more drugs and more drugs, and it didn't matter what it was. Uh, I went to detox in 2005 for uh, heroin. And then uh, after that, a couple weeks later, uh, the heroin dealer needed a place to stay. So I'm like, well, why don't you move into my apartment? So uh, he moved in and started doing drugs, and he had his... Four-year-old kid, I mean, I'm like, I look back, and I'm like, wow, there was a four-year-old kid in the house, and we're sitting here selling drugs, and his girlfriend was living there. It, it was definitely a lot of shady stuff, and I uh, didn't realize the chief of police's his mother, uh, was our next-door neighbor, but, and it was also friends with our landlord, so we kind of got tipped off that our house was being watched, which was like a definite blessing, because we all just left, and because I wouldn't be here right now, uh, I'd be in jail, because the cops were actually just sitting right in front of our house, basically. And I had friends that were friends with cops in the town, and they were telling me, like, stay away. So uh, I went back to my mom's house. After that, I moved to uh, Charlestown because I didn't like the freedom. I, I didn't like being there. And I got into a little bit of argument with my mom. Me and my mom just didn't get along too much. Uh, I actually had a customer come to my house and knock on the door while I was asleep. My mom answered the door, and uh, the kid asked my mom for drugs. He's like, is Rich home? She's like, no. And uh, he's asleep. And then the kid was like, oh, can you get any weed? To my mom. Like, my mom's, like, you look at my mom. My mom's a mom. Like, (laughs) you you, you really just, you look at her, you just, you can tell she's not a drug dealer. (laughs) Uh, It's just, it's pretty bad. And I wake up to having a cop in my house. It was kind of strange. It was like, oh. But then after that, I moved to Charlestown where I continued to uh, sell drugs. I would have everybody from Winchester would end up showing up in my house. I always had to surround myself with a lot of people, like more and more people. Like there was never enough. Like if I had Facebook back then, I'd probably have like 3,000 people. Like my my phone would just goes on and on. Uh, I got married. I was offered $10,000. For this girl to get her citizenship, uh, I took the money, got married, uh, ended up, it's pretty quick how you can spend five grand on just sniffing on coke and uh, weed. I think I did it under like a week uh, with me and a couple of my friends. And, because it was a great connection, because as soon as I got married to this Colombian, I got the best con- coke connection a white person is it ever going to get. Like, it was just incredible. Uh, I kind of hit rock bottom after that. I just – I was in a bad spot one night. I just – it was really bad, and I, I just called out to Jesus. Like, I don't even think it was me that called out. I think it was just a spirit inside me saying, hey, th- you're going to be dead. Like, you're, you're not going to be around. You're going to be in jail. Like, you're not going to be here in a week or so, the way – the rate I was going. And it just – I called out, and just there was a total transformation of my life in 2006 – like, I ended up uh, just wanting to leave my job, just get away, break the whole scene, break the whole cycle. Just a lot of just bad things going on. And so like, I just felt like it was time to go, too. And it just it was definitely like a very powerful thing. Like, definitely changed my life. As soon as I, he came in, I called out to Jesus, he came into my life. Like, everybody, everybody noticed. It was like, wow, you're really healthy. Like, you can see it in my face. Like, I look dead. At uh, this point where – because I would be up partying all night it, for till I'd go to work with like two hours of sleep like every single day. And it was acceptable because I was bribing my boss with weed. I was working like 30 hours a week, getting paid 40. I, I'd trade him. I, I'd have customers come in right in the middle of work and just – that was pretty much it. And it, it, I could do whatever I wanted whenever. I could get put up to everything. So – I remember the first time I ever trusted Jesus just—it was just amazing. Like, I had my cell phone stolen, and it just—it was just like, you know, "I'm leaving it in your hands." And it was just—it was just funny. The kid comes in the next day, like, uh, well, it comes in on uh, Monday, and the, the kid gets robbed at gunpoint. I'm just like, looking up, I'm like, "It's not the way I'd want it," but it was just—it was kind of funny. <laughs> it, and I knew it was him because I knew he was going away to Florida, and he, he made a phone call to Florida, and it was just kind of strange. I'm like, "Wow." So it was just like, that was like pretty much the first time I ever trusted Jesus. But i in mean, the same time, like in my entire life now, everything I do in cooking. I was a vegan for a couple of years after I found God and just, I felt so much healthier, so much better. Like I wouldn't taste anything. I wouldn't do anything. Everybody that tried my food was just amazed because I was letting God cook. I was just there to just tell me when to stop. Just tell me when. It was just amazed. I went from being a sous chef to an executive chef in uh, like five, six months, got an account. It was just everywhere I went, all the lawyers, everybody had reviews. I ended up becoming a private chef for uh, Skadden Arps, uh, which is a huge law firm. Hmm. Uh, there, in, in five years that my company has had this account, nobody was ever invited into uh, one of the lawyers' houses to cook. It was pretty cool. Hmm. So, uh,
1: It's really cool uh, just getting to know Rich over the past few months and um you've heard uh, his story tonight and you know 3 years ago when he uh, cried out to a Jesus who is alive a Jesus who is living uh, showed up and uh rich uh, for roughly about the last 3 years has been completely uh, just drug free and this is pretty hard addiction of everything from cocaine and heroin and uh just a, a pharmacy of drugs so to speak and um uh, Jesus has really taken this man and transformed him into the man that you see. So, uh, Rich, I'm very excited that you're getting baptized tonight and um, wanted to give you the opportunity just to uh, let this community, why tonight uh, on Easter, uh, why are, have you made the decision to get baptized? Uh,
4: I made the decision because I, I haven't been able to really ever say that I love Jesus to a bunch of people. Like I, For me, I look at it as like, wow, I'm just in awe, like, mm-hmm. just feeling like, being saved, I look. I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be either dead, jail, or just. I wouldn't be here. And like, if I had died, like Jesus would have been get away from you, me, get away from me. Like I never knew you. Like, and now I think about that, I'm like, wow. Hmm. It definitely. It just, I love Jesus, like hmm. with all my heart. Hmm. So. Thanks, Rich. <laughs> Thank you. Man. Awesome.
1: I have uh, another friend of mine, uh, Rob Rabey who's going to come and share um, Rob was baptized uh, a few years ago, actually when he was younger Rob come on up and um, um, i've uh, known Rob almost for uh, two years, give or take uh, about twenty months something like that and uh, it's been a great process of getting to know him and why well, i 've invited Rob we're not baptizing Rob tonight because he got baptized uh, at fourteen uh, at fourteen so um, but uh as a testimony that, uh, Jesus is alive. Uh, Jesus has been radically changing, transforming, um, Rob's life, Rob's heart. So, um, this is not uh, the full story. This is really just a snapshot of what God's been doing with Rob, uh, uh over the past really eight months, nine months. So just, um, what's God been doing, Rob gives, give testimony story, uh, to that.
0: Well, uh, for those of you who don't know me, um, I'm originally from Seattle, which, uh, is in the Sunshine State. Yeah, It's a joke, of course. I had the highest suicide rate, I think, for a while. But I, I grew up there until about 22, and I did my general education there in Bremerton, and then eventually transferred to a school in Nashville to study music. Um, I just felt like it was something I needed to do to get out of the house and get away from the spiritual safety net, which was the house I lived in, Um, wasn't challenged too much living at home. So Mm. I thought, well, I'll just be reckless and just go do something radical. Mm. little knowing the trip, (laughs) what kind of trip it was going to be. So um, I think I remember when I was younger in preschool, you know, where they have, you get your little, little magic carpet squares and you sit in a circle and all that, and so one day we're sitting there, and the teacher asks us what we want to be when we grow up. And I was scared to death. I thought, Oh crud! I, I don't know. Well, I want to be an astronaut because that would be awesome, and I'd be the man if I was an astronaut, and people would be impressed with me in my life. And I, you know, I just remember being scared, <laughs> thinking I had to have it all figured out at that age, and this was a question that just. It loomed over my head all throughout high school and this is college. preschool, right? Yeah. So you're a pretty intense little guy. I was I was very intense, okay. very intense. Uh, so I just remember that I just remember that instant, you know, that and some kid biting my arm. You know, those are my two strongest memories from preschool. Didn't have a good time there. Anyhow, so that that was like something that really loomed over me most of my life. It just, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, well, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. I want to do something awesome, though. Mm. So I moved to Nashville thinking I would go there and become a music star. Mm. And then I moved there, and Nashville has a pretty big music scene. And, man, my heart is, like, beating so fast. I. Oof. It's cool. I'm glad I can't see all of you out there because I'd <laughs> probably just keel over or something. Um so
1: the life of a rock star probably out for
0: you too down three two No, I would have taken one <laughs> sniff of something just had a heart attack or something. Weak heart. Um, so I remember going to Nashville and just being so repulsed by the music scene because it wasn't about what it was about for me, which was passion and, and life. And it, it almost in a, in a spiritual sense of just music takes you beyond words sometimes. And... So after one semester and my economics class and my accounting class, because I was a music business major, I just thought, oh, I'm not cut out for this. This just, just isn't me. So I changed to video production, my other love, film. So after I graduated, I had a friend that I met there who some of you might know, Ryan. Uh, we are roommates, and I had met him at Belmont, and he had graduated a semester before me. And ended up moving to Boston. He's originally from the New England area. And at the time, I was deciding where I wanted to go after Nashville because I didn't like the humidity. I didn't like the word "y'all," and I just thought I, I can't hack it here. If I if I get trapped here and marry a woman, I know that sounds mean, but I was just like, "There's," I, I couldn't do it. I mean, there are personal hells, and I believe that would be one of mine. Yeah. So no, it makes
1: sense. Leave it- Nashville, because the accents, to come to Boston. <laughs>
0: yeah 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 so culture shock for the last six years of my life so i moved i just remember talking to him throughout the summer and things life it just wasn't the same when he left and i think that was because you know i think we all meet people in our lives we meet a lot of people some of them are in our lives for time some just pass through some are in our lives for our whole life and every once in a while you meet that quality person who you just... There's something about them that just makes you into a better person. I mean, it's not just them. It's how, I guess, God uses them or speaks through them. So, for some reason, whatever, I felt a pull to Boston as opposed to New York or California. I just... I went to Boston. Never been here before. Never visited. i had never even been to New York up to this point. So, I remember packing up my car and it was in the middle of summer and by the time I was done packing everything in my car and I threw out what couldn't fit, my shirt and my pants, everything was completely soaked because it was in the summer still and it was just like, oh, get me out of here. Mm -hmm. So I left that morning so excited but also scared but just also believing that this was the next step. I thought, okay, the first step was leaving home, becoming responsible. Now this is the step in becoming a man and – Realizing my dreams and making myself like a real into something. Now. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like almost there. I'm, I was wondering when I would turn into a man because I, I was like, okay, I have facial hair now. I'm still waiting for something. I'm still missing it. So I moved to Boston and started working in film. And I got to work on some pretty cool films. I got to work on The Women, which was a complete nightmare. I worked on The Great Debaters. Denzel Washington almost stepped on me. But, you know, as a PA, nobody really notices you. So, you know, this is kind of life of PA. And I was working anywhere from a 10.
1: That's production assistant, just in case you
0: didn't. Or slave, yeah. if you want to put it that way. <laughs> um, so I was working anywhere from 10 to 17 hours in a day. I had, I never got to see my friends. I barely had a quality life. I was working all the time. I just started feeling this tightness in my chest from being stressed all the time feeling like I had ulcers or something just because I was constantly going, going, going. And I thought, I should be enjoying myself right now. I'm in my dream, and I want to wake up. Something's not right here. So that was my first year. I lived in Salem, Mass., and then after that first year, we moved to Woburn, Massachusetts. And ever since I moved here, i have been searching for a church, and I never found a place where I felt... I could call home until I came to Genesis. And then things just started changing. And by changing, I mean like things were just crumbling. Like I was just a mess, being stripped of everything. And just, just completely unhappy, just in order to escape my unhappiness, drinking, just trying to keep... Just keep the unhappiness away. Just keep it at bay, so I don't have to, you know, think about it at night when I'm sitting home alone and I don't have any friends because I'm working all the time. And um, then Michael, I think it was just through a series of questions, he just started asking all these questions that just I could not get out of my head. It just, I mean, I'm glad I couldn't, but it just literally drove me out of my mind. Just I remember it all started with one quote he said from Guyland, which I after he said that quote i went out and got the book because i just thought uh, i needed to read this book but it was i think the quote was um men love girls they can't stand women because women remind them of what they're not which is men and i thought wow i just uh so much of that when i read that book I, so much of it i could just see me and be like wow that's uh still kind of living in boy land, you know, just not really having a plan, just continuing to go and go and go. Um, and then just all these other questions, I think the other big question that happened then is, uh, Michael asked, do you believe God is good? And uh, I I don't know where I got this, but I guess I always just thought that I just had this distrust for God, thinking that, He was just this guy who was just looking around to see if anyone's having fun and then just to spoil it, you know, and just like – or just thinking that, oh, God is good. And if you delight in him, he's going to send you to be a missionary and you'll never be able to get back home. You know, it's just – I'd have these thoughts of just like God is going to make me do something that I'm not going to enjoy doing. I don't know where I got that, but maybe it's just distrust in humanity, um, just how people have distrust. So – just through a series of those questions and then um, back in December or before December, my hard drive and my computer crashed, which some people may not look as a catastrophic thing, but for me, it was, it was a huge thing. I, uh, I didn't have a computer. Everything I did for work, my invoices for setting up work and all this stuff, I needed a computer. And um, so it was just like I didn't have the money and savings for a new computer. I could barely get it fixed, and when I did get it fixed, he was only able to retrieve the information. And so I thought, sweet, I have no computer. I just lost a bunch of information. I had to pay for, and uh, now I have nothing. And even up to this point, I was thinking, I am just so unhappy, and I don't know what I want to do. I don't want to. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. It's just I got just got back to that. I just this dream is over and I don't like this dream and I want to wake up and change. Um, so God stripped me of my computer, which in retrospect was an awesome thing just because of it changed me. It, it forced me. I had nothing to do, but to just sit there and with my thoughts. And for any of you who've done that, like I think it was a couple of weeks ago, we did this where we tried to sit in silence for five seconds and, Everybody went, wah, or, or you did. I think you screamed. Yeah. And everybody's like, um, so it was just, I'm sorry, a little extra there. Um, I'm going to turn to my safety blanket, which is my roadmap just because I, that's what it was. Okay. So I, I think through all that, losing all those things, I just really, God really exposed my heart to me and, uh if you've ever had that happen, like I've had this happen sitting in the car and I've been so lost when I first moved to Boston, I was lost for three hours and I was literally screaming at the top of my lungs, just absolutely angry beyond belief. And I just, after I screamed and was hoarse, I just stopped and and went, wow, I can't believe that was deep down in there somewhere. That is so ugly. So God just began to expose my heart to me and you know how it says in, um, let me get my cheat sheet again, but these are some verses that have come to me just in the last few months that have really, I guess, changed me. I haven't, I just haven't been able to get it out of my mind. First uh, Samuel sixteen seven, where the Lord does not look at all at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I noticed, I began to notice all throughout the Old Testament as I started finally getting into it for years. You know, it's a, sometimes hard to get through. But I noticed that in some chapters they would summarize each king's life and say, this king did good in the eyes of the Lord, this king did evil. And it, it all always came down to the heart. And, um, you know, baptism, I believe, is a, is a statement of saying that I'm repenting of my life of sin and I'm changing. You know, repentance isn't just saying you're sorry and then trying to abstain from it and then failing again and saying, sorry, and sorry, and sorry, and sorry again, and again, and again, but it's changing your, your life. And I think I'm not the only person in this world who has led two lives, you know, their Christian life and then their life, they live their friendship with the world. Um, anyhow, let me try to wrap this up. Um,
1: You can just wrap it up, Rob, by saying you know i've asked uh, people tonight the question of why they 're getting baptized, and mm. uh, you're not getting baptized, uh, but you did want to give voice to um, what's your declaration tonight that you would want to uh, certainly encourage or challenge, but um, you know what 's on your heart tonight to tell uh, the community friends, family, and such uh, that
0: are here and listening mm. Well, I definitely want to say that now I work just a normal regular nine to five job and it's weird because I've never been happier in my life and I've never really been able to experience joy, real joy, not just having a grin on your face all the time, but like just really, truly having that happiness. And I feel like God's give me a new dream and how it's not about me anymore. And my accomplishments, you know, I just would want to pose a question to to anyone here: if, When you strip away your accomplishments, and if you're not your job, who are you? Who are you? You know, what's what's gonna last? I, you can't take your job status with you, your money. I, I mean, we all know that, but for me, it was wow. If I'm not at this status, I'm not accomplishing things. I'm a loser. You know, I think men find their identity a lot of times in what they do for a living um so i would challenge just the men in, in general to let that be the way you live you know the strongest testimony that is the way you you live it's you know it's the strongest testimony you can give and i would just like just this one verse give to you. um in jeremiah 2911 a lot of people are familiar with it but it's jeremiah twenty eleven twenty nine eleven 11 to 13 um to me, it's been powerful, for I know how th- the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And again, in Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I have tasted and seen and You know, once it's not about you, it's what I could have planned or imagined for my life just pales in comparison to what God has. That's all I have to say.
1: Thanks, Rob. Take that back to the zombie. You know, it's not easy um, just getting up and sharing just testimony that uh, the four stories that you've heard, but again... When uh, God has just done something in your life, it's hard to uh, deny it, and uh, there's something that is inside that compels you that you want to uh, share it with anyone who will listen. Uh, So tonight, I know you've been sitting for uh, the better part of the last hour, so I thank you for um, just listening tonight to the stories. And uh, you're going to see here in a second uh, people who uh, are getting baptized, and as you heard them answer the question of why they're getting baptized— as uh, it's been clear that they've confessed that Jesus is their Lord and Jesus is their God. They've uh, confessed that they've sinned and uh, that Jesus is the one who saved them. So uh, as you see them literally go down in the waters of baptism and come back up, you're not going to be able to hear what I'm saying to them. I'm praying for them. Uh, but the the scripture verse that I wanted to, to read to you uh, that really speaks to uh, baptism is—it's uh, a great verse, Romans chapter six, um, verse four. It just says this: We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's just another way of saying: Because Jesus is alive, I have life. We started out Easter morning when these women came; they were confronted with a very profound question: Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. There is one who was curious. There is one who is a skeptic. And then there are those who've heeded the word of Jesus when Jesus said, Stop doubting and believe. Uh, tonight, I would be remiss if I did not give you uh, the opportunity to respond to a Jesus who is alive. Uh, the tomb was empty, and because he conquered death, he conquered death, he conquered sin, conquered Satan, God's enemy. Uh, that we, too we place our faith, confess that we've sinned and are in need of a Savior, Jesus is the one who saves. If you have not made that decision tonight, make that decision now. Confess. It's a simple prayer that just is an expression of your heart that says, I've sinned and I need a Savior. I am trusting Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life, went to a cross to pay the penalty for my sin. On the third day, Sunday morning, he conquered death. And because my faith is in him, I, too, have life now and eternal life. I don't fear death because I know Jesus has covered me. That if I were to die on my way home tonight, I will stand and be with Jesus this night, not because of what I accomplished, but because of Jesus and what he accomplished. I have that assurance, and I want you, too, to have that assurance. If you've not made that decision to become a Christian, a follower of Christ, make that decision tonight. For those who've made that decision, what we're going to do now is we're going to celebrate uh, through worship. And as you see people getting baptized, you're going to be celebrating communion. And so uh, as I step off to the side and Lindsay leads us in worship, uh, I'm going to invite you uh, for those uh, who've become Christians and are Christians. uh, Jesus said, when we gather, you do this in remembrance of me. And what Jesus was saying is you take the bread and you remember that this was his body that was broken. Um, for you and for me. And in the same way he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, the blood of a, a new covenant that will cleanse you. Forgiveness of sins. So tonight, as you are seeing and witnessing these baptisms, people confess Jesus and committed to live in a new life. Come and celebrate communion and then worship. We have so much to worship uh, because Jesus is alive. And the first sound that I want people hearing is not the sound of just uh, applause. I want it to be the sound of what they have given themselves to, which is worship. We're not applauding them. We are applauding Jesus because he's alive. And so when you sing tonight, come and celebrate communion. And when you go back and where you're standing, shout it out. Sing it out. Let the first thing that people hear as they come from the baptismal water is a people, a community that are worshiping God. And again, if you've not made that decision to trust Jesus, I want you to pray this with me right now as I pray it. Lord Jesus Christ, I confess that I have sinned, thus I am in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you lived a perfect, sinless life. I believe that you went to the cross to pay the penalty of my sin. And I believe that you are alive. I place my faith this Easter in you, Jesus. Make me the man or the woman that you have created me to be. And I thank you that you have forgiven my sins, past, present, and future. And I thank you that I do not have to fear death because my eternity has been secured by a Jesus who is alive. Jesus Christ, I thank you I confess, you are my Lord, and you are my God. Would you guys stand with me? As you are ready and led, please come and celebrate communion. And as you go back to your chairs, worship, sing it out. Shout it out. Jesus is alive.
3: Genesis is a ministry of Hope Christian Church. We invite you to find out more by visiting our website at genesisthejourney.com.